0: Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's word together. Glad that you are with us as we continue our study of the book of Isaiah. And as uh, Tim has mentioned there on YouTube, we are almost halfway through, not quite. Uh, Today we're gonna cover an entire chapter, at least that's the plan. And we're going to look at chapter 30, where we'll see a few things that you are probably familiar with from the new testament not i don't mean that as their quotes but some similar statements and uh, makes you wonder if this is where the new testament gets it anyway i'm getting ahead of myself let's take a look at chapter 30 verse 1 woe to the rebellious children declares the lord who execute a plan but not mine and make an alliance but not of my spirit in order to add sin to sin. So this is continuing on a section, and uh, let me just remind you of what we need to think of in terms of the audience, right? There are those with ears to hear, and there are those without ears to hear. This is the case throughout all of Isaiah. There are those, the remnant, that trust the Lord, believe in the Lord, And they are hearing God's plan of redemption, uh, deliverance, and the future Messiah and all that. But the vast majority have hard hearts. They are rebels. They are um, self-sufficient, self-righteous. And uh, they are just ignoring the warnings that Isaiah is giving them that uh, doom is coming, that God is going to judge his people. And so as we read, as we hear this, we've got to... Kind of take on both sides. We've got a we are gonna see sections that uh, that are warning and then sections of hope. Well, this is a woe section, so we know this is at least a warning. He says, Woe to the rebellious children, my my sons, and he's he God has referred to the Jews over and over again in Isaiah and certainly previously as his sons. He says, Woe to them, because they have a plan, but it's not God's plan. And they they form this alliance but it's not of his spirit, and they're just adding sin to sin. Well, what are they doing? They proceed down to Egypt without consulting me. They take refuge in the safety of Pharaoh and seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Now, let me ask you, Christian, can this ever be said of us? Can this ever be said of you, how often do we turn to the Lord last? How often do we execute plans without consulting the Lord? Uh, do you remember Joshua? If you read Joshua, he got himself and the Jews in trouble. And there's a line in, I forget which chapter this is. that just came to me. I, otherwise I'd have pulled it up. But there's a line in Joshua where, he lost a battle and it says very clearly and, and seems to be an, a point of emphasis in this chapter, in this narrative, that this was the one time that Joshua, this great leader of Israel, did not consult the Lord to see if he should act. He just said, oh no, we're fine, let's, let's do this. And it led to trouble for Israel how often does that happen for us good morning jenny bates it's been a while welcome welcome back to the program here so we we need to take counsel here and just make sure that as we look at what's happening in our world both at a larger scale globally and nationally and then to our you know our own lives our the the, the nitty-gritty details of our lives there are hard things there are obstacles there are opposition, things coming our way and how easy it is to attack these problems, to pursue certain goals without first seeking the Lord. And that usually leads to bad things. And it certainly will for Israel here. Therefore, the safety of Pharaoh will be your shame. And the shelter in the shadow of Egypt, your humiliation. Because the Jews here are going to seek Pharaoh for their strength and comfort and hope. uh, God says that's going to end up being shameful and humiliating for you. For their princes are at Zoan and their ambassadors arrive at Hain. So they're, they're convening a council here to consult with Egypt. Everyone will be ashamed because of a people who cannot profit them. The Egyptians cannot solve your problems. People who are not for help or profit, but for shame and also for reproach. You know this. We know this as Christians. Whenever we form alliances with the world and and place our hope in the world, it just leads to our shame because the world can't deliver us. The world can't help us. Uh, We depend on the Lord Jesus and him alone. Well, that's what's going to happen here for the Jews. And then we have this interesting section here where God pronounces an oracle. We've seen this repeatedly, right? The oracle concerning Babylon, the oracle concerning Egypt, the oracle concerning Moab, and so on. Then here, there's a an oracle concerning the beasts or the animals of the Negev. <laughs> there's just a sense of irony here that uh, there, there's a pronouncement of woe here, not against the people of Egypt in the Negev, but... But the beast, he says, through a land of distress and anguish. So these beasts, these beasts of burden who are carrying uh, the the, the the packages of the Jews uh, from where come lioness and lion viper and flying serpent they carry their riches on their backs with their young donkeys and their treasures on camels humps to a people who cannot profit them even Egypt whose help is vain and empty I, it's just interesting <laughs> the Lord the sense of irony uh even your animals that are carrying the the payment that you're taking down there to Egypt for this treaty. Uh, they're gonna be attacked by lions and vipers and flying serpents, and it's all a waste. This whole allegiance, this alliance, this uh, calling on you for hope for hope, um, it, it's it's just a waste of time. Therefore, I have called her Rahab, who has been exterminated. and we've talked about this before, Rahab, don't think of the woman Rahab in Joshua's day. Rahab was a um, a common name in antiquity. Um, and uh, something here, it has to do with being exterminated. I'm not sure exactly what all that is. So God says to Isaiah, go write on a tablet before them, inscribe it on a scroll that it may serve them in a time to come as a witness forever. God says, write it down so that the uh, the people, when, when Egypt fails to deliver them, uh, they will have it written down and they can remember the Lord told them this is going to happen. For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord. So notice here, God is saying he has given them instruction, he's given them truth, but because they're rebellious, they refuse to listen to it. And then he says, woe to this, or sorry, who say to the seers, you must not see. And to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us pleasant words. Prophesy illusions. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. So these people are saying to the prophets, the, the spokesmen of God, We don't want you to see visions, at least not of the kind that you have been expressing to us. Like Isaiah, you're telling us of judgment. We don't want those visions. Prophets, they literally say, we want pleasant words. We want illusions. We don't want to hear anymore about the Holy One of Israel. Now, what does that sound like? Don't bother me with the facts. Don't tell me what God is actually saying. Tell us what we want to hear. Sounds a lot like this, doesn't it? In 2 Timothy, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now it makes you wonder when is Paul describing that in the First Timothy? He talked about how the Spirit ex- explicitly says that there will be people in the last days who are of little faith and who uh, practice a kind of godliness, but it's not a sincere godliness, and so on. And you just it, it makes you think: Is he talking about the same time period here? Is this is this an Isaiah? Is this a um? an allusion to what's happening in the last days leading up to the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. I don't know. Interesting to think all that through. But the idea that uh, that there will be people who are among God's people who want preachers and teachers who tell them nice things and pleasing things only, uh, that's a temptation for God's people. Uh, this is why Joel Osteen, for instance, has such a massive uh, following because he's telling people what they want to hear. God wants you to have the best of life now. And if you just have enough faith, then all your problems go away and that kind of thing. Um, uh, and Christians, quote unquote, uh, at least people who convince themselves that they are Christians uh, will latch on that because it's what they want to hear. And they don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to hear about repentance they don't want to hear about self-denial they don't want to hear about giving up the pursuit of the world in order to gain christ and so on and that's what israel is doing we don't want to hear about judgment ignorance is bliss tell us good things that's what we're after so god has some strong words for them verse 12 he says therefore thus says the holy one of israel since you have rejected this word and have put your trust in oppression and guile and have relied on them, therefore, this iniquity will be to you like a breach about to fall, a bulge in a high wall whose collapse comes suddenly in an instant. Right? His people, God's people, are putting their trust in Egypt. Therefore, like a wall that's about to crash down upon them, It's going to come quickly. Whose collapse is like the smashing of a potter's jar, right? Just crash, slamming down the jar and the pieces go flying off. So ruthlessly shattered that a sherd will not be found among its pieces to take fire from a hearth or to scoop water from a cistern. There's just not even going to be a usable piece of this jar left. And then, like we've seen again and again, there's hope. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, he said, he has said, in repentance and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you are not willing. So it's not, not the full message of hope yet that's coming in a verse or two, but uh, he's he's i guess again calling them back remember turning to me returning repentance changing your mind and resting in me and trusting in me that's where salvation is but you weren't willing again do you hear any other echoes from the new testament in this phrase here but you were not willing remember when jesus said to uh, to jerusalem he he predicts their rebellion their refusal to accept him and rejecting his apostles that he's going to send. And he pronounces the woes on the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. And then he goes out on the on the hillside and he, he weeps, or at least has a very emotional moment of, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks. I wanted to care for you and protect you, provide for you. And, and bring you close to me, but you were not willing. Remember that in Matthew 23? And he says, behold, your house is left to you desolate. I hear echoes of this there. The Holy One of Israel, he says, in repentance, rest, you'll be saved in quietness and trust is your strength, but you were not willing. Again, we have to learn from this. How much trouble do we create for ourselves when we don't rest in the Lord and put our trust in the Lord. And instead, in our fear of our circumstances, we look to human means. We look to, frankly, the government. We, Christians are so liable to this in our day. We have been told by the government for decades and decades now, here in America, I'm thinking specifically here in America, uh, that the state is our security. We need to allow the the government to teach our children. We need to trust the government with our health and medical decisions. We need to trust the government with our social security. Um, they oversee every aspect of life and they just continue more and more and more. I mean, this might, there, a few generations ago, this whole thing with the vaccines and the CDC and the World Health Organization and all that we've seen and there continues now to be more and more um, expose, uh, exposing of, of the false narrative about the vaccines and uh, just how we jumped into that too quickly and all the mandates and all the people who lost their jobs. I have friends, I'm sure you do, uh, military friends who lost their jobs because they wouldn't take the vaccine and now uh, things, reports are coming out that they just did not know uh, how effective they were and obviously had not run enough tests to determine the, the side effects and so on. And, and why? Why do we so easily give into this and in the, in the lockdowns and all that? Well, at least part of the reason is, we've been told for so many decades, that the government is uh, our source of strength and hope and security in every, every aspect of life. They're the ones that tell us how to raise our kids and, and so on. And so when they tell us we need to quit going to church, stay six feet apart, quit hanging out with people, wear masks, take the vaccine, et cetera. And that's just the most recent example. Um, You know, we just kind of blindly as a culture and even Christians give into that. And we have to always be careful as Christians not to look to the government. What is the government? It's a group of individuals. In America, it's a group of fallen people. Most of them... Unregenerate people. I think. I mean, I I don't know the hearts of all of them, but I I think I can say that. I don't know. Do you disagree? If that's true, let's say even a simple majority of Congress and the White House and the administration, the the, the staff, um, if if a simple majority of them are unregenerate people. They don't know the Lord, and they're the ones passing laws, determining some of the biggest things in our lives. At the top of the list, in my mind, is education. Right? They control what we call public schools. I think we should call them government schools. They control the narrative. They control the atheistic evolutionary curriculum that's being taught to our children. And as Christians, we we just sort of can blindly allow the government to, um, to dictate these things. And we, we've been told to trust the government, and we often do. Health. Uh, if you trace the origins of the health pyramid, it's ideology-based. You know what my generation was taught uh, is now proving to be disastrous for a lot of people. We've just blindly trusted the Department of Health kind of thing. The Lord here, again, the context is a little different, but the the principle is the same. You're saved in repentance and resting in the Lord, turning to the Lord, trusting him, and not a wicked government. Anyway, I think we as Christians need to be aware of that. So God says, or they say, no, we will flee on horses. We're going to flee from the people who are coming. And uh, the the animosity, that's co- not the animosity, the judgment that's coming, the, the nation that's coming after us, we're going to flee on horses. And, G- and God says, yes, you will flee. You will. We will ride on swift horses. Therefore, since that's what they say, Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. God's punishment so often fits the crime. Like you, Because you're depending on your horses, you will be overcome. You will flee, all right? You think you're going to escape. You're not going to escape. You're going to flee. But then those who are chasing you are going to be faster than you. Because you're trusting in your horses and not trusting in the Lord. One thousand will flee at the threat of one man. You will flee the threat of five until you are left as a flag on a mountaintop, as a signal on a hill. This imagery is taken right out of the Old Covenant law, right out of the curses in Deuteronomy 28. It says, if you obey me, then one of you will send seven men flying. But if you disobey, one man from an enemy will send seven of you Jews flying in retreat. And here, God ramps it up and says, not just seven, but 1,000. 1,000 see a comment here from uh, Karen. let me pull that up and see. I always have trouble squaring that with what Paul says about the authorities put in place by God for us to obey. Yeah, that's a great question. that's a great great observation. Uh, we are to submit to them even hostile, even even wicked nations, uh, certainly the Roman, um, government that Paul was speaking about in his day in Romans 13, they were not God-honoring, they were not pleasing. So we we submit to the laws of the land. So, so that's not in question. Unless unless the law is evil, like if abortion, for instance, becomes the, the requirement, then we have to deny that law. We have to disobey that, no matter what the consequence is. We can't murder uh, babies in submission to the government. But even laws that we don't like, taxes and such uh, we have to submit to them but what i what i'm getting at is we elect people so that's the thing about here in america we have the freedom to elect a nation to our leader sorry of our nation and so many christians vote for people who are increasing the power of the state so that's the, that's the distinction I would make. Um, we should be voting for people who are not trying to increase the power of the state. First of all, in America, we should be voting for people who are going to uphold the Constitution because that is the law of the land. Romans 13 would tell us the Constitution is the highest authority in America. And when we vote for, at every level, local, state, federal, when we vote for uh, leaders who break the, the Constitution, we're voting for people who sin, because that is the high. Uh, there's, a, there's a way to change the Constitution, but Congress does. I mean, this this whole nonsense about, um, I don't want this all to get, I, I don't want to leave Isaiah completely here, but this whole nonsense about um, uh, paying off student loans, the president doesn't have the authority to do that it's not going to fly. And, and when people just blatantly put stuff out there that is unconstitutional for uh, you know, persuasion purposes and for um, satisfying some part of his base or whatever, we, we should look at that and say, you know that's just, that's just wrong. And it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter what party, what side it is. So anyway, um, Karen, I would say, yes, we're to obey the laws of the land. That's Romans 13. But we should be voting for people who are trying to reduce the authority of the state of the, of the congress and so on because that's what our constitution says remember that the constitution was established by people who were fearful of the government they were afraid of tyranny and we have largely become in america the government they were the kind of government they were rebelling against and we have voted them into office well let's vote them out as if it were that easy. All right, let me, sorry, let me get back to, I'm not really sorry. I think this is a worthwhile discussion, but our time is fleeing. So let me get back to uh, Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious. That's not really what it says. It's it's the word wait. It's not really expressing a longing, but it's a patience. The Lord uh, waits to be gracious to you. Right, so you you Jews are going to flee to Egypt, and that's going to cost you. The Lord waits to be gracious, therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice, and how blessed are the, are those who wait for him. So he's going to bring judgment to the people he's talking to here, but he will wait, and eventually he will be compassionate. And now he gets to the the. Words of hope. O oh, people in Zion, inhabitant in Jerusalem, you will weep no longer. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. See, there's hope all the way through Isaiah. There's judgment and there's hope. Although the Lord has given you bread of privation and water of oppression, he, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. Interesting. This is one of the phrases, one of the labels that the the, the apostles give to Jesus, right? Teacher, teacher, rabbi. Uh, The Lord has given you food, which is really starving and and oppression. That's the food, that's the bread they're going to eat for a while. But then eventually the teacher's going to come and not hide himself, and they will see him. They'll have eyes to see. Your ears will hear a word behind you. And here's the word This is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left, right? The book of Acts picks up this terminology, the way. They're called the, the, the way. So the time is coming when there will be those with eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand, and they'll walk in the right path. And you will defile your graven images overlaid with silver and your molten images plated with gold, and you will scatter them as an impure thing and say to them, be gone, the people of God will no longer worship idols. Then he will give you rain for the seed which you will show, sow in the ground and bread from the yield of the ground, and it will be rich and plenteous. On that day, your livestock will graze in a roomy pasture. Also, the oxen and the donkeys which work the ground will eat salted fodder which has been winnowed with shovel and fork. It's going to be a very prosperous time. On every lofty mountain... And every high hill there will be streams running with water on the days of the great slaughter when the towers fall. The light of the moon will be as the light of the sun. And the light of the sun will be seven times brighter, like the light of seven days on the day the Lord binds up the fracture of his people and heals the bruise he has inflicted. So judgment's coming because the people rebelled. But after that judgment, light and prosperity and wealth and healing as people turn to the Lord. Tim says, this chapter has a similar theme to chapter 8 where the people are panicking and calling everything a conspiracy. But Isaiah says, do not fear. He will be a sanctuary. Wait for the Lord. Yeah, exactly. We see all these repeated themes again and again and again. And what followed chapter 8? was chapter 9, right? The child will be born a son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders and he will lead into all this prosperity same kind of thing uh the the teacher will come so all this makes us think hmm the teacher has come uh do we rest in him do we trust in him are we experiencing some of that uh blessing and fertility the uh, the prosperity that he talked about yeah great point tim All right. Well, I was going to finish the chapter, but uh, uh, we got off on some other things, so we'll come back and finish it and get into chapter 31 uh, tomorrow. If you want to read ahead, keep reading, and uh, you'll see some of these same themes uh, repeated over and over again, and uh, we'll keep looking at that. All right, folks, have a great uh, Monday. Rejoice in the Lord. It's a good day, and uh, Lord willing, we will pick it back up uh, tomorrow. Take care.